0: recently taught that things go from bad to worse
1: before they get better
0: before they get better yes is that a bible teaching a life teaching or both well of course i taught it
1: in the middle of a bible example right
0: right but you said you said this things always go from bad to worse
1: then i i did generalize from there
0: you did yes so then my my question around it being a bible statement is are there other for instances from which you can say see not only is it bad in the case of the nation of israel around the time of eli and samuel but also it went from bad to worse before it got better in this other case
1: well yeah i mean i think there's many cases of well maybe we take apart the anatomy of why things go from bad to worse before they get better that would be fun. Okay. Because usually, in I mean, in, in the administration, in human uh, interaction, right, in the administration of uh, justice, social life, so forth, such as Israel experienced as a nation, and we experience also as a nation, or as any kind of other political subdivision or social subdivision, um, where things could get bad. Things could get bad in a company, for example, Right. Mm. things get bad in a company because there's bad administration in a company maybe very poor leadership in a company and now you got it now to say a board of directors really discovers this that you know there's something wrong with our company uh, other companies in the same industry are returning you know 9% uh, and we're returning 3 uh, what's wrong with us and uh, things are bad Mm-hmm. right so the process of now finding out what's bad first of all in the process of finding out what's bad you may find the wrong thing that's bad or you may find something that's bad but not the main thing that's bad
0: like a symptom
1: versus a coma. yeah so you begin to treat some symptoms and in the meantime the disease runs its course right and gets worse because you're only treating the symptom you're not treating the cause Finally, you gotta fire that guy at the top. and maybe others with him. you gotta get rid of him. Mm. then you make a choice, you know now things they're bad. but okay, Husker football was a good example, something I loved, you know. Uh, it was getting bad after after uh, the probably the greatest uh, uh, college football coach of all time resigned after winning four of five national championships. Uh, was that when things started to get bad? Yeah, well, he turned it over to the next guy that he picked, and uh, which was my high school coach, and uh, he just couldn't sustain the same level of. So things started to get bad, mm-hmm. and then, then when people saw that things were getting bad, they got like, well, I got to change this guy, and they went from bad to worse because they got the next guy who's the wrong guy, and the next guy who's the wrong guy. So maybe they got the right guy and things went terribly bad. And now it is a total rebuild. Mm -hmm. God starts the rebuild before man even notices, really. And the the example I was giving, of course, was the big transition period at the time of... The
0: The transition from judges to kings.
1: Yeah, when God had to raise up Samuel to terminate one set of administration and begin another, right? And just to show you that it couldn't have worked to continue on with Samuel, you know, he had... No good kids, just like Eli did. Mm. Not as bad, but...
0: It seems like the time of the judges itself and maybe the cyclical nature of that failure and salvation or deliverance is kind of a bad to worse, and then better, and then bad to worse, and then Yeah, better.
1: it's a bad to worse, but there's this um, pervasive change in human administration to greater integration and hierarchy. You know, the the liberty of... The liberty of men becomes constricted more and more as evil permeates evil and the freeness of its practice constitutes the destructive germ in human relations marked by freedom. Short version of sin, you know sin is a, a bondage. yeah, it's not just personal bondage, which it is personal bondage, but it's also social bondage. And so when, You know, when God tries to administer the human race, can I say, extremely tolerantly, he moves from there to to more and more constricted freedom. You could take the dispensation of of, uh, innocence, and you could see where, of course, the structure is extremely flat. There's just family. Yeah, There's just family.
0: The freest time.
1: But when you take the dispensation of conscience, which ensues thereafter, with the failure to execute... But the murderer. Right. The murderer is marked. Cain is marked. To not be murdered. To not be executed, that is to say. Don't want to misstate the difference between execution and murder. They're they're quite opposite, aren't they? Yeah. But uh the Lord attempted uh, an administration of Great Liberty there where the murder was not executed. And things did go from bad to worse until a new administration was put in place. Things went from bad to worse until something very integral was changed. And in that case, the next the next dispensation altered the m- marking of the offender, murdering offender, and called for his execution by others, who together would have to determine how to execute a murder. And that is the it's the basis of our social construct that has lasted. We still associate and commune to- uh, We uh, affiliate together as people, uh, socially and politically, economically. We associate together, first and foremost, to achieve the execution of the murderer. When that fails, of course, things go from bad to worse. Now, back in the context which, which I, where you got this question from, which was teaching I I, I gave in, uh, is teaching from First Samuel to try to build the underpinnings of the life of David. This is a transition point between judges and kings. Mm -hmm. You could mark that as a dispensational change if it had all the elements. It just doesn't necessarily have all the elements for dispensational change. It's a big change. It's a climactic point in the history of Israel. Huh? What does it lack? It lacks a demonic activity. It lacks the actual change of the house. The house of God is still Israel. But you, you could go ahead if you want. I mean, go ahead and throw in the dispensation in there. <laughs> go ahead and make the case. Uh, it might be helpful, but to understand that there is a new thing happening in Israel is really important. Mm-hmm. And, and to see things go bad to worse, you know, before that can happen. You can't make that happen with a 12-year-old prophet, right? Things have to keep going worse. God raises up a whole new guy, a 12-year-old, to be the judge of Israel. The final judge of Israel, it turns out, to be a judge in Israel and to restore the house of God back to some order where God has his word implanted, not with the Philistines, but with the Jews. It goes so bad that while the Jews adopt a religious approach and grab the, the Ark of the Covenant to lead them in battle, the word of God has gone to the Philistines. And God tells the Philistines, quit you like men. After I spoke on that, by the way, Jared, there were those who said to me, I always wondered where that came from. Who, who's he speaking to? Where, how does that? And to me, it's just as clear as a bell that the word of God has jumped over to the Philistines. It's clear as a bell. The, the, the children of Israel, instead of the, of course, the, the Ark of the Covenant, inside the Ark of the Covenant are elements that point to the word of God. Sure. If not the word of God itself.
0: I think textually in that section, it's not that clear. I think we, I mean, we can read that text and
1: well, I, I go ahead and helpful. read it. I think it just jumps out and slaps you in the face. But you go right ahead.
0: It's a great passage, chapter four, verse nine. Well, so in verse five, verse all five. Israel shouted with a great shout, right? Go ahead. So that the earth rang again. This is First Samuel four five. And in verse six, it says, when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the ark of the Lord was come into the camp. And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. Woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and quit yourselves like men, O ye Philistines, that you be not servants unto the Hebrews, as they have been to you, quit yourselves like men, and fight. And the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten, and they fled every man into his tent, and there was a very great slaughter for their of Israel thirty thousand footmen."
1: Okay, now you could take verse 9 right out of there, and it would just read. It would just read fine. These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. And the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten, right? You skip right over verse 9. You could. Yeah. And the, and the flow just goes. So verse 9 is like this obvious interruption in the narrative. The whole voice changes and everything, Right? of the narrative. The voice of the narrative changes. We we well, have from, we have a we have a third person narrative going on. It goes from second to third. It goes from third to second, right? Be strong and quit yourselves like men, oh you Philistines. All of a sudden there's a voice talking to you Philistines who who are a- saying these are the gods of the Egyptians. These are the gods that smote the Egyptians. In the middle of the statements by the Philistines about what's going on comes a different voice to the Philistines. Be strong and quit yourselves like men, O ye Phil... Who's speaking?
0: Well, it could be the Philistines themselves
1: speaking. No. Why? They have something else to say. They're not saying that. They're, <laughs> they're saying these are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues right, in the wilderness. But this
0: is an army. Huh? This is an army, so there's not one voice of an army. So you you think
1: there's this counteract, there's this countervailing voice inside the army. Well, you have leadership. Be strong and quit yourselves like men. O ye Philistines, yeah, let's go, Hoskers. I don't think so, because here's here's why. All of a sudden, it's a voice that's talking about the Philistines and the Hebrews, like not us and them. It's Philistines and Hebrews. It isn't like be strong and quit yourselves like men, guys. Why does it say, oh, ye Philistines? It's like a voice coming out of nowhere, changing their narrative, changing their viewpoint.
0: Well, I mean, it definitely changes their viewpoint because they go from scared to, to strong. Right and now. it's prophetic. Well, anybody who says we're going to win is prophetic when
1: you win. Or you're saying just the winners write the narrative, so that's why we know? I'm saying that. I mean, these are guys who are saying we're going to lose, not that we're going to win.
0: Right, but then they, right after that, they say we're going to win if it's them talking.
1: Quit yourselves
0: like men and fight. Why doesn't it say and God said and God spoke from a cloud or and then y-
1: because he okay because he did not speak from a cloud because God did not speak from a prophet because God did not speak from anybody in Israel at all, which is what makes it amazing, right? Because so the, the, the word of God actually went to the Philistines,
0: into not their hearts.
1: Was, the word of God went to the Philistines themselves, and it was a word for them. Did he say this in their hearts? How was it said to them, you mean? Yeah. Oh, that's, a great, that's a great question. <laughs> that's a great question. How was it said to them? Uh, effectively, let's put it that way effectively enough that all the Philistines believed it and fought. They were convinced to fight. Yep. Turned their whole, they were wet in their pants before this, this
0: statement. Well, we've seen God do the opposite, right? We've seen him completely confused and confound and, and scared. just
1: utterly destroyed the Philistines, which he right. wants to do. They know that anyhow. They know that they're, they're, they're the enemy of the God of the Hebrews.
0: So this could this be like an inception thing where, like, the thought is placed right into him? Or is this a visible—or, sorry, an audible You know,
1: you, you, get a, you threw me a little curveball when you just took up the topic of how, how was it said, okay? So— because I wasn't thinking about that. Okay. So you got me there. Okay. Uh, how was it said? A complete turnaround in the narrative. How How did God arrest the minds of the Philistines and throw this certain thought into their right. minds, hearts and minds? Right. So effectively, 180 degree. But it's the power of the Word of God, see? The Word of God came to them. It, what, what I see here... Eh, maybe I'm off, but I don't... Eh, of course, I never think I'm off. <laughs> uh, you always think you're right, and that's the criticism of me, is I think I'm right. That's right. You know, how, do people really want somebody preaching to them that thinks they're wrong? Is I, that never, what I never have. I would rather have you tell me something wrong that makes me feel better.
0: Yeah, well, there's your itchy ears right there. But I think sincere folk who want to understand what it says, they want somebody who thinks they understand what it says.
1: All I think I understand what it says this is the Word of God coming to Philistine, because the word of God has left Israel. They don't think so. They think we got the ark, so we got the word of God. But the ark is only symbolic of the word of God. The containment, that what is contained in the ark, those are only types of the word of God. We know who the word of God is. Right.
0: Well, it says in verse uh, 1 of chapter 3, the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open
1: vision. Yeah, it was hard to find. Rare. Well, we found it right here. The Lord Jesus is on the side of the Philistines,
0: Right. Well he must be because they won. If he was with Israel, Israel would kick their butt.
1: Right? Absolutely. So he's the Philistines with- know that. We've got no chance against these guys with their God. And their narrative gets turned around by their God that says, no, uh. Uh-uh. You guys fight like men. Stand up. Or you don't or you don't want to be servants to these guys, do you? No. Well, then fight for your freedom. That's the word of God to them. That's the word of the Lord. Okay. Jesus is on their side. Yeah. I mean, the Lord wants Israel to lose the Ark of the Covenant and to slip further into bondage to the Philistines. Bad to worse. Bad to worse. Okay, you got it. Okay, I'm with you there. Is there a time now, why? Gap? Why, why? Why? Now, the why? Why does it have to get worse? I don't know why. Well, the whole administration of Israel needs to change. The priesthood needs to change. The judgeship is going to be terminated, and a king's going to be put in place. So there's a lot going to happen different in Israel. Why is it needful, though? Yes, it's going to, but why does it need to? Well, this is what I started to bubble up from all the dispensations before, right? Because the sin brings bondage, God's people themselves come into greater, less freedom. They're definitely going to be less free with a king than with a judge, and it's all laid yes. out for them exactly how.
0: Well, let's now take personal application here with one person's sin now.
1: Let's let's go, let's carry it to the church, can we? Well, hold on. Let's go into right, go ahead, first. go
0: ahead. We can zoom out to the church, but for a single person, then sin obviously goes from bad to worse, right? I mean, the
1: God, yeah, the conditions of the, the, yeah, yeah, right? the, yeah, 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 yeah. It's deceitful. at bondage,
0: right? Yeah. It gets worse as it goes. Yeah, we see in James like it it starts in your lusts and then it conceives and it brings forth sin, which ultimately brings forth death. Bad to worse. But it doesn't. You know, I've been have doing
1: a little gardening. What's that? I've been doing a little gardening.
0: Yeah, and a lot of weeding.
1: I do it with other hand, people, other people's hands.
0: That's the way to do it, really.
1: But I have raised beds, so a lot of that other stuff that you're suffering from out here, where you're really growing things, is is eliminated because one spinach plant will feed. I found out one spinach plant will feed a family of four for the rest of their lives.
0: For as long as they can stomach spinach.
1: One tomato plant would do the same. One cucumber plant would do the same. One pepper plant would do the same. The only thing you need multiple plants of is stuff like broccoli and cauliflower, or broccoli and yeah. cabbage and lettuce. But Carrots. The, yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. What I'm impressed with by gardening, though, is the super ridiculous abundance of life that pours forth, right? I take one little tiny... Oh, yeah seed a tomato seed it blows in the wind right you can't even you can't so much you can't plant one you have to plant three because you can't pick up one they're so tiny and then each one of those little seeds will grow up and grow a hundred pounds of tomatoes which you can't even eat and if you wanted to you could open up any one of those tomatoes you'd have gazillion seeds to plant for Mm -hmm. another hundred pounds per each life is so teemingly abundant right well so is death As teemingly abundant as life is, the impact, wages of sin have to be as teemingly abundant as that to stop it and kill it. Mm. So when sin conceives, it brings forth all this stuff. Yeah. Not a issue, not an issue, but just a complete undoing of the person.
0: Right. Yeah, It's like opening Pandora's box. But what I was going to say is... Sad tale. But it doesn't have to, right? Like you can cut it off. There's you, grace, exactly. Where That's sin abounds, grace superabounds.
1: That's all there is. All there is for you and and sin is grace. There's really, you know, you you try to reverse all that, you know, fight each symptom of the sin and you know knock it off. It's just it's just insane. Even at the very micro level, right? You can't even grow a disease free banana, let alone, you know, yeah. Uh, Tried to deal with sin in a life, right? So, yeah, where sin abounded, grace super abounds. Yeah, so that's
0: that's why I go back to: is it needful for this to go from bad to worse? Like, couldn't have it gotten smitten, cut off? Couldn't grace have just showered Israel? Didn't it? Isn't it?
1: Isn't that what this is?
0: I mean, it is. But I it's I mean, like God
1: it, is keeping to it, His promise of not letting them run to total destruction, right?
0: It's like he brings them down to like a single moment in time and then births them again. It's
1: clear he's let them go as far as he can. Now, the analogy I wanted to make is that you are all, we have one Father, your Father in heaven.
0: Right. You're all brethren.
1: And you're all brethren.
0: Okay. Now we're talking church. That's great freedom. Yes. Where the Spirit of the Lord, each Lord is there
1: liberty. Each man individually attached to the, to the head prince of the kings of the whole world. Right. Each individual person attached one-on-one to the Savior of the world, the creator of all things. What incredible freedom is that? And yet what happens? What happens among men? What happens as we try to just walk along in the Christian faith? We're just going to walk together in the Christian faith as brothers with one head. Mm -hmm. What's with the hierarchies forming all the time? You know, you you, you you scarcely could find a less hierar- a more hierarchical organization than the ones that uh, believers uh, create in their churches. All these titles, all these chairmen, directors, all this stuff. Yeah. Such tedious, laborious loss of freedom. Yeah. Constrained. You or I or any believer. Should be able to walk into any church of God and function as a brother in that church. and the sisters are also brothers. But is that even near possible? Is that even near possible? Okay, so you teach the scriptures and you teach the scriptures, right, Jared? Yeah, you teach it at Miller Community Church. You mm-hmm. teach on a regular basis, right? right? As long as I don't just butt you out all the time, right? but you have a, a place in the ministry. And uh, the ministry doesn't go on without you having a place. We have a conference coming up. You've got a spot in the conference, mm-hmm. right? Yes. So you're an established teacher at a, a at a church where the scriptures are taught. Uh, but do you think for one minute you could walk into another church, say, for about three or four weeks, and begin teaching? No. Not a chance. Not a chance. You'd have to find out, like, well, what are the positions around here? and. How does one, you know, manipulate himself into, you know, whatever? When they should be asked, they should have asked you to teach. Like, let's just say the second time you came, because first time they didn't know who you were. Would that ever happen? Of course not. No. Of course, such things don't happen. Christian churches don't have fellowship with each other in the way that they should. Free and open. We're all each church. My father's house. Therefore, I'm always welcome. No. The churches intentionally, they start out to have no fellowship without even thinking. They invite people to change from whatever church they're in to the church that they're starting with no compunction whatsoever. Not ever dreaming, hey, wait a minute, that would be really bad for that person and that church. We don't even think of such things. It never comes up. It never comes up. If a person in the church starts conducting himself unwisely. Mm -hmm. And you have to put that person out of the church. They just go to another church if they want. Right. That's on the other side of things, right? Uh, a, per, a gifted person goes and visits another church. They're not welcome as a gifted person or as whatever it is they do. They're, you know, stuck in this little program where they try to find out if you live around town or around there somewhere. And if they do, they're going to, you know, try to get you into join. It's sad. But see what I mean by the loss of liberty? Mm-hmm. The, the the tendency is to lose liberty, not to gain it. And well, the Lord's not going to change. When the church has finally failed, when the churches have done their best to fail at their purpose under God, that's when the rapture of the church takes place, when the church has consummately failed, not until it's consummately failed. As long as the churches are still succeeding to some extent, there's no rapture coming, right? But the rapture of the church is a signal from God that this administration can't work. It doesn't work. And men have trodden underfoot, and the salt has lost its savor. Savor. Mm. And will he find the faith on the earth? No, no, because the, all, the, all the believing ones will be taken out. Not a great triumph, right? Not a great triumph. So, that's what I mean by things go bad to worse, you know, before they get better. You might even, I mean, you might rightly ask us, Things go bad to worse from the departure in the faith. What is better? You might even ask, well, how does it get better? You know, things we can see things are going bad to worse. Things will go bad to worse until a deluding influence is sent upon man. They'll believe the lie. What's better? Well, the millennial kingdom of our Lord Jesus is what's better. Mm -hmm. We need to focus, you know, beyond our current departure beyond the the current departure which without departing we still experience i mean if my brother departs and i don't i I still lost my brother yeah you know i'm still the loser in that today it appears we have a epidemic pandemic an (laughs) epidemic of women leaving their husbands Mm, yeah we sure do it just seems to be an overwhelming condition now of our society and uh, even in their older age, you know, especially maybe even especially, right? Uh, women done childbearing, uh, headed toward the empty nest, and uh, leave their husbands. Our society is enabled enabled them to do so legally. In Bible times, it wasn't there was no legal opportunity for a woman to divorce her husband. She had to just leave him, and then she would be without resource, or she'd be on her own resources, or actually the resources of her father. But today. Uh, you know a woman can turn 50 55 head into retirement take her own retirement leave her husband take her own social security and her own distributions half of whatever they built together and go on their own way and it's it's economically feasible and so they're doing it in droves I guess we talk about men leaving their wives I think that takes place a little earlier but I don't know I don't know the data very much I just know that there is this epidemic of women leaving their husbands going on inside the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how I got there. I guess I got there from departure, right? That's one yeah. element of departure. So the Lord isn't going to, the way he's going to deal with the churches isn't going to be to reduce their freedom and put in a king, you know what I'm saying? They're, the pope, He's not going to establish a pope or a king of the churches or anything like that or amalgamate them into some uh, you know larger form whereby a hierarchy is placed upon the churches. There's no way he's going to do it. Instead, he's going to just let them depart and continue to, some faithful, some not, leave faithfulness to be the big issue out there for those who care to qualify to reign with him because he's going to come back and, and and reign with a rod of iron. That's the next administration. Yeah, that'll be better. It's better for a rod of iron if you're not on the receiving end. Right. Right. So we look forward to it because we're not going to be on the receiving end of any of that impact of that rod. In fact, to a large extent, we hope to hold the rod with our Lord Jesus ourselves.